0: All right, you only have to turn to two places. I'm going to read from five different passages, and you'll see why because we'll finish with them as well. Uh, but if you can turn to Matthew 24 and um, Revelation 22, which is the last book of the Bible, so your two places are really easy. Matthew 24 has first book of the New Testament, Revelation 22 last book of the entire Bible and last book of the New Testament, and just hold those two places and then I'll read three passages in between so you don't have to hold five passages with your fingers. Uh, so I'll read the middle passage, but I'm going to read all of them. So let's start with Matthew 24. We'll start with the words of Jesus, we'll finish with the words of Jesus. And we'll actually have one other passage from Jesus in the book of Acts. So let's start with uh, our kind of foundational text, the Olivet Discourse. Remember the Olive Discourse, same week as the crucifixion, the week of Passover, the week that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper by taking the Passover and explaining the meaning of it. And um, this was just days before that as he's on the Mount of Olives. Picking up with where we left off, verse 32, Matthew 24. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until uh, these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left." Two women, two women will be grinding at the millstone. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Next passage, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there, it's Acts chapter 1. Just hold that uh, Revelation passage, but let me read from Acts chapter 1. The disciples ask a question and Jesus answers it. They say therefore when they had gathered when they had come together they asked him saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority So keep that passage in mind. Next passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, Paul speaking, Paul writing to the church, "...behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We'll talk more about the trumpet next week. We won't talk much about that today. We'll talk more about that next week. But Paul starts off, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Next passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. Last passage, Revelation chapter 22, second Second to last verse of the Bible has a statement from John and then Jesus' words. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for the help of your Spirit. Lord, this is your word. We don't want to impose anything on it. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to subtract from it. We simply want to read it, glean from it, hear from it, learn from it, and apply it. And so Jesus, I ask for your help. I ask for the anointing of your Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would remove every distraction from this room, those that are watching online, and Jesus, that your people would hear from You. You'd remove me from the equation that we all hear from You. And it's in Your precious name that we pray. Amen. First off, we can unequivocally say that some people, some within the body of Christ, are never going to taste death. that cool to know? Some group within the body of Christ, is never going to taste death. It'd be cool if it was us, right? Yes, you'd miss your football game tonight, or today. <laughs> but if it was like my team, you wouldn't care. You'd be like, <laughs> get me out of here quick, you know. that. But, um, but some group is going to miss death altogether in the body of Christ. Only some. Paul uses the word sleep here. He says some will... Uh, we, we shall not all sleep because sleep is a metaphor for the believer that we don't really die, we live forever with Jesus. So we go to sleep until Jesus raises all people up, all, all of the church that is. Now we know this can only happen as far as this group of people that are not going to die, that are not going to taste death, this can only happen in the last days of this world. Because Jesus says it's going to be in the latter days, in the end. The question is, where in the last days would this be the case? Now, The second point of consideration, just an opening here, not everyone would agree that the passages that we read, specifically what Jesus was saying in Matthew 24, not everyone would agree that Jesus is speaking in that text in Matthew 24 starting in verse 32 there, Not everyone would agree that he was speaking of the rapture. I believe he is. Some do, some don't. I will lay out the case uh, this morning and next week, but there's multiple views on all the passages that I just read. There's multiple views on all the passages. Third point to consider, Paul makes it clear that he's explaining a mystery to the church. He uses the word mystery. Uh, And so he's describing something that he said is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Some are going to escape death. And it's going to be instantaneous. And everyone's going to be changed at that moment. So believers will be caught up from China, Uganda, Egypt, France, even California. Right? (laughs) they are real believers there too. So Everywhere. But the Lord, it's a mystery that He wants us to know how to understand it and to embrace it with expectancy. I believe Peter had this same uh, mindset regarding what the Lord was unveiling when he wrote these encouraging words to the church and then let's look at the words uh, right below them from Jesus. Peter writes, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, but "...to us who were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things that angels desire to look into." It's not just about prophecy, but again, much of the revelation of the entire New Testament from the birth of Jesus all the way to the end of Revelation were things that angels desired to look into. They didn't understand all of what God had, had kept veiled for a certain period of time. And some of it will stay veiled all the way till we get to heaven. Let's be clear. But some of it has been unveiled. Some of it already has been unveiled. Jesus told the disciples, Matt, uh, John chapter thir- uh, 16 here, however when He, the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth which He's doing with us this morning. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He s- hears He will speak. And He will tell you of things to come. Jesus said, The disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to tell you some things that will actually happen after I've been raised back into Heaven. If you're taking notes you see uh, the title this morning, Be Expecting. Be Expecting the Prophecies and Doctrines Concerning the the, the Hope of the Resurrection. uh, The Hope of the Rapture that is. But uh, before we get into Word, let's pray one more time, and let's just really have God speak to your hearts this morning. I know that this is not a passage that we read a lot, but I believe that God really wants us to know what He's saying. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just ask again for the work of Your Spirit, Lord, that I would convey it in the way You would have me convey it, according to the strength and power of the Spirit the spirit that would tell us of the things to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the doctrine of the rapture of the church is not universally accepted among all believers from the body of Christ. Nor is the seven-year tribulation for that matter. Although I believe both are clearly taught in the scriptures. You'll sometimes hear that the rapture is a new doctrine. That's not true. Early church fathers believed in it, others in the 1600s and all the way since. Keep in mind that the vast majority of professed believers don't study the Bible. Most don't even read it. Did you know that? Millions today are pop culturally fluent but biblically at a child level. Millions. A Ponce Foundation study found that 82% of American Christians only read their Bibles on Sundays when they're at church. When some pastor says, turn in your Bible. Which is even less now because guess what? People go to church way less than they used to. Many Christians say, I don't really go near as often as I need to, not that big a deal. Add to that, a LifeWay study found that about 2% of all Sunday messages in the pulpit are about biblical prophecy. 2%. That means that the rapture is even way less, because that would be inside of that 2%. 2% less uh, related to biblical prophecy, so we're in fact closer by the minute, by the second, to the end of the age And yet thousands of American pastors have decided not to teach about it. Closer to the end, not even going to mention it. No wonder the rapture isn't understood. Right? No wonder God told me to spend two weeks on it instead of one. It's hardly even mentioned. Much less taught, much less considered, along with other end times prophecy. The the body of Christ is not looking at these things, not understanding them. We already know a fourth of the Scriptures are prophetic. This is why the, I believe the Lord had me go from four weeks to five weeks to six weeks and finally to seven weeks. And now two weeks on the rapture. Matter of fact, I was convicted. Uh, I haven't neglected prophecy over the years, but I, I did feel like the Lord said, I want you to do a little bit more often on the rapture. I didn't get like a, a voice from heaven. Just that impression as I'm going through the word, Lord like, a little bit more on the rapture. With all that said, there are very godly studied men and women that we all love and respect that neither reject nor neglect the rapture and yet they see the passages that we just read differently than I see them. Related to the rapture, related to the second coming, and uh, they draw different conclusions from some of what we read. They're not false conclusions. I told the the first service, um, if there's, there's a difference between false teaching and different perspectives. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example of two different perspectives. If somebody said, man I've studied like crazy and I think Jesus spent more of his ministry in Capernaum than Nazareth. and someone else says, I think he spent more of his time in Nazareth than Capernaum, that's not false teaching. But if someone else comes and says, I believe he spent his entire ministry in Shanghai, that would be a false teaching. Right? Not true. You, so that makes sense that we can actually have different perspectives and they not be false. But there's some perspectives that actually are false. And so we have to be able to discern. So none of the things that we'll talk about today, the different views, they're, they're all orthodoxy. And, but uh, we'll see, you'll see where I land on these things. But Nevertheless people will draw different uh, conclusions particularly in the body of Christ within timing. Especially within timing. And even within the group of us um, that are pre-tribulation, rapture like myself, even within that camp, um, I have men that I agree with like 97% of what they are 92% in this guy and 98% in that guy and there's just little areas where I, say, I see a different verse and a different light, different view. So again that is all normative when it comes to prophecy. Why? Because it's a mystery and some of it's not fully clear. But some of it is very clear. And what is very clear, we should all hold to. And what's not clear, we agree to have fellowship, even if we have some different views. And to all those other views, they have every right to be wrong. So that's fine. They can be be wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm just (laughs) kidding. I heard John Piper say, I heard John MacArthur say, or I heard David Jeremiah say. I mean, all three of those men have different views to some degree, although uh, uh, David Jeremiah. John MacArthur, both pre-tribulation, John uh, or John Piper is not. He would be um, post-tribulation. So again, those are those are fine. I do believe the Lord will bring more unity and clarity to the body of Christ the closer the return comes, right? Because everybody will be like, oh, we were all wrong on this. You know, he'll bring more clarity the closer it gets. But praise God. What is universally accepted among all true born again believers as this is this that Jesus will come at some point in time and he will gather his whole church together, the whole family of God, to himself for all eternity. Amen? Amen. That's going to happen. Just like he came the first time, it had to happen. Nothing could stop him. You know, the, the Herod couldn't stop him, kill all the baby boys. He was going to come, he was going to go to the cross, and he's going to come again. That truth, like his virgin birth, like his sinless life, like his sacrificial death, like his resurrected body, like him being the only way and means of salvation, him being the only one that can forgive us of our sins, he's the only access to the Father, those are all what we call essentials of the faith, right? Those are essentials of the faith. A different view of the rapture is not a disqualifier of faith. It's not a disqualifier of faith. I believe it's a doctrine that's in the Scriptures but it's not a disqualifier of genuine saving faith. That said, I personally believe that the rapture is a missed blessing in the body of Christ to to study and understand in many cases. Again, because it's taught on so minuscule in this country but I believe it's a promised gift of grace to the church in the last days. Whichever final group that is, right? But all churches were to look at themselves as potentially that group. Amen? Mm -hmm. Potentially that group. So it would be a blessing to that last day's church. And I believe it's an element, uh, a key element in God's fulfilling His overall plan. Do you you ever look at the Bible and say, wow, God has a whole lot going on here. He's landing lots of planes on little aircraft carrier, all at the same time, right? Uh, And it's very complex, and yet it all has one unified plan. But it looks like many other things kind of coming in. But the rapture's nearer by the second reality is a reminder for us to live with a readiness and an expectancy that Jesus really is coming soon. That was his word. He says, surely I'm coming Quickly. And unlike us, did you know that Jesus never exaggerates? He never exaggerates. You know, I'm coming in a million years. He doesn't say that. We say stuff like that about, I'll be at your house, I'll be, house, I'll be, I'll be giving in 10,000 hours, right? Because I'm running late. But Jesus never exaggerates, not at all. He never exaggerates. Uh, his saying quickly, it means speedily, without delay. It's soon, and his, his soon is no matter what going to be true because guess what? Our life is a vapor. So He is coming soon for your life and my life very soon. I was just talking at the first service we had a young couple uh, recently started coming there in their, their mid-20s and I said hey, I feel like just yesterday I got married at 25 and now I'm 52. It's a vapor. He's coming soon for us. His resurrection is ascension. Though that initiated the last third. So we're in the sooner part of the timeline of world history. And then we've got the fact that Jesus, everything's soon to Him because He sits outside of time, right? Uh, it's a day, it's like a thousand years, and or like the watch of a night in Psalms it says. So uh, all of this He's telling us it comes much faster than you think. Now speaking of Jesus, one of His names is we know the Word of God, right? And it's written even on His, um, as He comes down on His sash, coming down out of Heaven, the Word of God. And I believe that the mystery and clarity of the rapture is understood when we appreciate the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, right? The whole counsel of God. One of the big problems that we have, we have a lot of problems in the American church, but one of the ones we have, you'll actually hear some major well-known pastors in this country say that they really don't need to teach anymore from the Old Testament. I've heard them say it. I don't really need to teach from the Old Testament anymore, it's not, that, you know, it's not that important anyway, and that was under the other covenant and other stuff like that. That's a problem. We need the whole counsel of God. Jesus spoke often from the Old Testament. All the writers of the epistles spoke often from the Old Testament. It matters a lot to the New Testament, and vice versa. The New Testament matters a lot to the Old Testament. Both testaments are complementary to each other and complete the picture, the puzzle. That's a big deal. But again, we don't have a lot, uh, again, in our society today, A lot of people, I don't want to hear about that, just give me the, and not only the New Testament, just certain passage within the New Testament. So just avoid the prophecy stuff altogether. In fact we have an entire book of it called Revelation. Just avoid that altogether. And so that is a problem. So you start taking these pieces out, how would you have the whole counsel of God? Paul said, he said, I've not neglected to teach you the whole counsel of God, all of it. And of course he taught to them about the return of Christ and the rapture. That's why he said uh, he refers back to the, as if they knew what he was talking about. Remember when I told you? He says that in other passages uh, in his letter to the Thessalonians. So the sum of the parts that God presents are actually written in both testaments. And it gives us the full clear picture. And I believe that when viewed through the lens of Scripture, looking at Jesus' own words and His own ministry. We've we'll always start. we started this prophecy series from uh, Matthew 24. We start with Jesus' words and His ministry, although that's not everything He had to say about it because we just have to stay in that one range of text uh, for, for time's sake. We then have the apostles' letters to the churches. Very important, everything that they wrote. Uh, we have to look at the types and shadows that are in the law. And then lastly... All of these things, the mystery of the uh, the mystery of the rapture becomes a lot more clear. But it does require, all of these things that I have up on the screen here, all of that requires a study of the Word. You have to study the Word. It will not just jump into your lap. You have to actually pick it up and open it up and mark it up and read it. Paul told Timothy to study the Word. I'm glad you're here this morning online that you're here to study the Word Together, the promises, the riches of His grace—they're uh, all there. But we have to study them. We have to examine them. We have to understand from the Scriptures where where does Israel fit? I believe that Israel is called the fig tree, right there in Matthew 24. Now, a little bit later, I'll explain. Some people don't believe that that text refers to Israel, and these are—I mean, these are guys that I love and respect. And some of them will see that differently. We'll uh, we'll take a look at that. Even if that passage doesn't, Israel's still a huge part. We already know. Remember, we talked about the 70th week that was given to Daniel and to Israel. So we know Israel plays its own part in seeing the whole picture. Those things that have yet to be fulfilled related to Israel. We have to understand the Messiah in the feast given to Israel. I'll look at all, we'll look at that next week. We're going to look at all seven feasts, and you're going to see where. These things correlate or they relate directly to things like the rapture, specifically with the trumpet sound, all that stuff. We have to understand where Jesus and the bridegroom, uh, Jesus being the bridegroom, and where the church, the bride fits, and why did he do his first miracle at a wedding, and what's the significance of uh, the wedding there in Cana when he goes and sits the disciples down for the Passover supper. What things come into vision that uh, come into Uh, view that we'll be able to look at. And those are beautiful revelations. We'll look at those details next week. Today though is more about the foundational what is the rapture? Just kind of a more of a structural what is it? Is it clearly visible in Scripture? And I believe that it is. When can the church expect it to come to pass? And next week we'll look at the why, which I believe is the bigger question. The why is there a rapture? Why is a rapture necessary. The full scriptural portrait. And it involves Israel and this picture of the church and where it all comes together. And we, we'll see a strong exhortation to be ready. Jesus right after he uh, you know, speaks about the specific things at the end, he goes on to talk about the wise and foolish virgins and being ready versus not being ready. And, and, and that, that'll all become I think a lot more clear as to why he's talking about that as we look at next week. But let's today, let's understand the difference between I want to start off understanding the difference between the rapture and the second coming. You guys have all heard of both, right? The rapture and the second coming. Now there remember there's believers that, that we can be in great fellowship with that don't even believe there's a rapture. Well, we're going to look at four views of the rapture, but there's people who don't believe there is a rapture, they believe there's only a second coming. Period. I believe that there's not a tribulation. There's some people that don't believe there's a millennial. There are millennials, so there's these different views. But um, I believe that the rapture and the second coming are two different things. This is actually Ed Henson's uh, chart, and I just adapted it. But again, on uh, the rapture, is a translation of believers. The second coming, uh, second coming, it is no translation at all. And the rapture, translated saints go to heaven. In the second coming, translated saints return to earth. In other words, they're coming from heaven. and the rapture, earth is not judged in the rapture but in the second coming Jesus immediately judges the world. Uh, The rapture we believe Jesus uh, told them to be ready Paul instructed the church to be ready, imminent, any moment. Jesus could come today. We don't need the temple to be rebuilt for this to happen. We don't need anything to happen. Jesus could come right now. But the second coming would be after all of the seven year, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, all of that has to happen before the second coming. So all those things have to take place, then the second coming uh, would happen. Um, the rapture is not specifically mentioned in the Old Testament, although I believe the types and foreshadows are in the Old Testament, we'll get to that. Uh, but it's not ever mentioned, whereas the second coming is most surely mentioned "...they shall see him whom they have pierced." It talks about Jesus going to Basra. Uh, We know that the day of the Lord is a reference also to the second coming. It also can mean judgment, uh, which of course the judgment happens there at the second coming. So that applies. The rapture is believers only. Number six, Um, second coming affects all of mankind. The rapture uh, is before the day of wrath. The second coming concludes the day of wrath. Uh, The rapture there's no mention of Satan. Second coming, Satan is immediately bound. Uh, the rapture, Christ comes for His own. Second coming, Christ comes with His own. Uh, number ten, He comes in the air, whereas we know the second coming, Jesus comes not only literally to Basra, but then puts His feet right on the Mount of Olives. It's not a in the clouds event; it is at uh, terra firma, on the earth here. So, number eleven, He claims His bride in the rapture. In the second coming He comes with His bride in the rapture. Number 12, only His own will see Him, it's just the ecclesia, just the gathering of the church and the second coming every eye will see Him. Unsaved people will see Jesus coming from, and of course they still at that point many have already rejected Him and will even try and fight against Him at the second coming. There is none of that with the rapture. And then 13, uh, the rapture we believe the tribulation begins. The second coming. We know that the tribulation ends. Um, the tribulation. Of course, of course. Again, there's there. This is a pre-tribulation view of the rapture and the second coming. Looking at these two uh, two views, so understanding the differences between the two. And much of what, uh, if you look at number five, the fact that, um, like I said, it's not mentioned by name in the Old Testament. Much of number five, uh, the pictures and things like that are only really understood through the ministry of Jesus and then some of the New Testament revelations, the things that come after Jesus has ascended. The word mystery, we saw Paul use that word. The word mystery in the Greek it means mysterion; it means hidden thing, or secret Not obvious to the understanding. You've got to study this stuff. But Paul has been given by the Holy Spirit the understanding, I don't know exactly why, but you see this in the ministry of Jesus. Remember um, Jesus told the disciples numerous times that he was going to be crucified. He would even be handed over to the chief priest. And it went right over their heads, right? Matter of fact, I mean Thomas is convinced he could not have rose from the dead. Thomas was like, I will not believe. I mean he was convinced there's no way he rose from dead. And yet I believe Thomas had this great love for Jesus while he was saying that. Like, I love him, I'd follow him, but he's not coming back, guys. And they're like, he's already here! Right? And then finally he puts his hand in there. And so a lot of revelation came after Jesus rose from dead. But Jesus said, more will come after I go to the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come and Lo and behold, you're going to write epistles, you're going to write the book of Revelation. No one had anything that John had, right? That was a lot of that. Not all of it was new. Some of what we see John we can see in the book of Daniel and other places. But much of it came after Jesus was resurrected. Then with the Spirit He was going to send what would be the rest of the New Testament and the understanding of some of these things which He mentioned but He uses the rest of the church age to go into detail. So Uh, mystery, why that's important. Um, It's hidden but Paul's saying now it's being revealed. It's not hidden anymore in the sense that we now know what Paul is talking about, what the rapture is, and where we can see it elsewhere in Scripture. And once Paul, Paul teaches on it and once we realize, oh that matches back to what Jesus said, once we see things that take place in other passages these things are less mysterious but they are very, very much a treasure to us. Now the word rapture, you may have noticed, does not appear in your English Bible, right? You'll not find the word rapture in your Bible. Uh, by the way, you won't find the word trinity either in your Bible, uh, but the three-in-one doctrine is clearly taught in the Scriptures. We know that Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, but yet the word trinity is not used. The doctrine's clear as a bell. Now, if you happen to have this morning or online a Latin Bible with you, and I doubt you do, um, you would see that there is a word similar in the Latin version, "raptus," um, which comes from the original, original Greek word "harpazo." And many of you are probably familiar, some of you are probably familiar with that word, which means to seize or to take by force, to claim for oneself eagerly. To snatch out of the way, it's kind of like I grab my keys off the table and run out the door. Like they snatch up into the air, and I must grab them with firm. And up into the air they go. That's that's what that kind of that picture of the word rapture or harpazo, uh, which Paul uses that word in describing um, exactly how the church will be taken up. Uh, these last two aspects of the word harpazo. Um, the meaning there perfectly describes the doctrine of the rapture as it relates to Jesus and the church. A being that Jesus, I think we'd all agree, is eager to claim His bride for Himself. Right? And we'll see that more when we look at again next week. uh, For example, when He sits down at the Last Supper, He says, "How "...I long to have this meal with you, but I won't drink of the vine again until..." You can see there's an eagerness to be with them, but an eagerness to take them to the future place, the future state. Uh, We know Jesus is eager to claim His bride and to take His bride up and out of this world. Remember He prayed in John 17 and said, they are no more of this world than I'm of this world. He doesn't plan to leave us here. And if you see the world going crazy, you're like, yes, this is really not my home. The rest of you can have it. You can have all of it. Take it. (laughs) Go ahead and destroy it like you're doing. It's yours. But more on that next week. Dr. William Mount said the rapture describes God's activity in physically and miraculously transporting people from one place to another. Now, we know that God's already shown this capability. Of course, God has no limits, but, but you know, Enoch just walks up into heaven with God. Elijah is just taken up. But it's uniquely prepared that God has shown us already that He can just take someone up and they can miss death altogether and they're just raptured and taken up. But it's uniquely prepared not for just an Enoch or an Elijah, but it's uniquely prepared for a group of believers that will be alive in the last days, um, some, there's many things that are fascinating about God. I mean, we could go on all day about this, but God makes the rules, and He's above them all. So, give you an example. Nobody can walk on water. Jesus just does it, right? The, the laws of physics say you step into ocean, you go down. Jesus steps on it; he walks right on top of it. Hey, that's breaking the rules! but he's the one that writes the rules. The Bible says it's pointed on a man wants to die. But God says, but I can say this group is coming up and won't, won't taste death. Who says you can say that? The one that wrote the rules. <laughs> right? Who can raise people from that? Jesus can do that. Who can say leprosy is healed? Jesus can. But no one can do that. Yes. God writes the rules. So for whatever reason, some of which you'll understand more next week, when you look at some of the pictures and look at the feast, and, ah, some eye-opening moments. But even that, we don't understand fully why God would say, "Pointing out a man who wants to die, except I'm going to say Elijah, not you; Enoch, not you; and this whole group of people, not you either. You won't taste death." But we'll simply look at what the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in context say. In context. We'll look at the whole council, of God. We're not ignoring either of the testaments. We're going to look at what does Israel mean to this picture? What does the church mean to this picture? What is the tribulation? And no matter what your view of the rapture is, whether you have a view already uh, or you say I'm going to go study this and and see if you're right or whatever, that's fine. uh, My prayer is that you are ready to meet Jesus whenever you finally do. Because we all will. Amen? We're all going to meet him. We're either going to meet him in the rapture. We're either going to meet him at the second coming. I don't plan to be there, except I do plan to be there coming with him. I mean not waiting here for him. Or at the last trumpet. you You guys thought we were going right then, didn't you? Not yet. Just a foreshadow. I didn't even ask for that illustration. (laughs) But the last possibility is the end of your life. Because even if if the rapture came 100 years from now and even the second coming was 7 years after that, right? We actually know if the rapture was 100 years from now the second coming would be 7 years after that. We already know that, right? 107. You and I won't live 107 years from now, so we would meet Jesus and we need to be ready now. That soon could be for us. Many people have passed away on the earth just this morning. Their soon is already here, so we want to be ready. Now when looking at the position and place of the rapture, um, again for people that believe, and again there's, there are some in the body of Christ that don't even believe that there is a rapture, but For all within the body of Christ that believe, yes, the rapture is very clearly seen, we see it, Jesus mentions it, Paul mentions it, now the question is where is it in a timing perspective? Again, all four of the views are orthodox. All four of the views are orthodox when it takes place, um, as to to when it takes place. Um, I have great fellowship and good friendship with pastors and believers that subscribe to any one of these four. I I know people in all four of these camps, and they're strong believers, and, and I do believe there's a scriptural case to be made for each. I actually could make a case for all four. As a matter of fact, most things that people argue with in the body of Christ, if you study the Bible, you can make a case for both. Doesn't mean that one case is a better case. You can make a case, just like when your teenager can make a case. Doesn't mean it's a good case, right? But uh, a case. You know, but some of them, they're good cases to be made for all of these things, but I believe the strongest case supports. pre-tribulation view which we'll look at again today and next week. But essentially the the first which we are looking at, uh, this is certainly what I subscribe to, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that is the view that Jesus will come before judgment is poured out on the world which we know as the tribulation which Jesus mentions himself in Matthew 24. It's also called the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord, by the way, can be the actual last day, Jesus coming to judge the world, second coming, that can be the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord can also be the entire seven year period, right? Like the Bible say, in that day. Uh, it, can, it can mean a span of time, but it can actually be a specific time. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Um, we know that that seven year period is also called the 70th week of Daniel. We know it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not called the time of the church's trouble. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The 70th week was specifically given, related to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Um, so anyway, the pre-tribulation it would be before God's wrath is poured out, before but also includes that there's an eminence. Jesus could return at any time. That we, Like I said earlier, We don't need the temple to be rebuilt. We don't need anything to happen. Jesus could come right now and everything else could happen. None of the other three views support His imminent return. They all have specific things that have to take place from a timing perspective because they're contained within the tribulation period. So the next one we have is the mid-tribulation view. And again, there's strong believers that have this view this is the view that the church is raptured in the middle of the uh, tribulation, uh, that the church endures the first three and a half years of the tribulation in the sense that the first three and a half years is, my, is the majority, the Antichrist uh, um, kind of coalescing his power. Remember he doesn't even, the mark of the beast is not even introduced until the second three and a half years which ought to make everyone feel great to think that everything right now is the mark of the beast. It's not. That's not even until the second three and a half years of the tribulation period. But for people that believe that the church will go through that first three and a half years, they believe that the intense persecution the church will endure in that first three and a half years will be far less than what will be in the second half, which is true. The second half, uh, it's hard to believe how bad it will be in the first half as far as persecution versus the second. I believe those are people that are getting saved in the tribulation period, in both halves. But again there's people that say no, no, I believe that the church is going to go through the first three and a half years and much like the two witnesses are raptured up, we're going to be raptured up. Now I find their rapture is different than other raptures because when the two witnesses, they lay dead in the streets for three and a half days and when they're raptured they're not raptured in an instant they stand on their feet. They actually are there to kind of look everybody in the eye and say we told you, we told you, now we're out of here, right? Whereas our rapture is instantaneous. We don't get to warn anybody about anything. We don't get to look anybody in the eye and say, I told you this was going to happen. We're just gone. So the two witnesses' rapture is different. And again, so there's, there's other reasons that people have, but again, we don't have time to look at all that. You can study it yourself. Uh, the post-tribulation view is that the church endures the entire tribulation... And it's caught up to Jesus just before the second coming. This is like a big circle. Uh, seconds before you zip up to heaven, grab your white horse, get back in there and get back down there. That's how it goes, right? So it's like a big circle like that. And now, heaven's outside of time. I'm, I'm, I was playing around with that, that view because obviously heaven's outside of time. Everything, all that could work. God could make all that. God can make any of these work. If he, you know, so it's not. That's not an issue. Uh, But the point is that they believe the church goes through the entire tribulation, the endure. Now, we know that God's wrath is poured out in there, so uh, we'll look at that in just a second. And then the last view is the newest view, um, and that is the pre wrath view. That view is much newer than any of these other theological views, and that is that the church is taken out just before the opening of the seventh seal, just before the opening of the seventh seal. And so, in other words, Revelation chapter 8. Verse one initiates the wrath of God in, in this view um, and that the church avoids everything after Revelation 8 on and we avoid God pouring out his wrath. And th- that view is that the first, you know all the way up until just before um, the seventh seal that that pre-wrath view is that all of that is called the wrath of man, that the Antichrist is the one, you know, causing all the wars and causing all the problems and persecution. It's the wrath of a man whereas then the church is taken out and then that's the wrath of God poured out. The problem with that is remember if you remember from the, from the um, opening of the seals the people on earth cry out, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. They even know the wrath is not the Antichrist. They know the Antichrist might be a problem for those that are resisting him. And they think he's Messiah for those who are receiving him. But for anyone that is crying out, it says they cry out for the rocks to fall on them. They said, Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. So the world, by the work of the Holy Spirit, will immediately know no, the whole tribulation is the wrath of God. That's, that's I mean, obviously in the first six seals, up to a quarter of humanity dies. That's a lot of wrath. We've never seen anything like that in, in Earth's history, albeit the second half, which uh, people call, especially the mid-trib people, the great tribulation. The, they view the second three and a half years as the great tribulation, the first three and a half years is tribulation but not the great tribulation. Which um, I believe, like, once again this is a, not an either or but a both and, the great tribulation applies to the last three and a half years and the entire seven years. Uh, so, but again, everyone here is more than welcome Uh, to study all the other three views. You can go uh, hear from different believers around the world that that subscribe to these. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert in all of the other views. I have studied them numerous times in the last 26 years. I've looked at them at length in my Christian life and just I've personally found them to be less in line with a total view of covenant Israel, the church, prophetic scriptures, and the ministry that Jesus reveals and the feast, and all these things that we'll look at more next week. Again, I could be wrong, and if I change my views in years to come I'll be the first to let you know, uh, but it hasn't happened. I've been settled for, for years, and the more I've looked at it the more settled I am, and I've come at it with an open mind uh, all, all along. But uh, if the other th- three views prove to be correct, guess what? We're all on the same boat anyway. <laughs> so if their other three views are right, and no one's going to say oh, I was right, you know. No, no one's going to be feeling that, right? So you don't have to worry about that being a problem. Um, and I was on Instagram, hey, I was right. We get to suffer after all, you know, that kind of thing. You know, so. Uh, but here's the thing: uh, because of the two covenants, we have two covenants. Israel has a covenant. The church has a covenant. Now, obviously, anyone we've got some of you in this room. I look up, we've got messianic Jewish believers in this room right now. that You were born Jewish, you're still Jewish but now you've come to Yeshua Messiah as your Lord and Savior. And I love what God is doing in the Messianic movement around the world. So we're the same born-again believer. We're under the same now new covenant. But the church is grafted in as Paul says in Romans, we're grafted in but the two covenants are still operational until God unifies the final work of both covenants. So both covenants still have um, some elements that remain. They're already completed in eternity future, if you will. But there's things that need to be played out. And so we know that uh, it's the time of Jacob's trouble, not the time of the church's trouble. We know it's the 70th week applies to Israel. Uh, We also know that we as the church, and again All of our Jewish brothers and sisters, they're going out in the rapture with us. They're not staying for the fulfillment of the Israel covenant. That still is to the nation-state of Israel, what was promised to Abraham. But we know as the church we're not appointed to wrath. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only our individual salvation, but I believe also the church is saved from the wrath of God. From the wrath to come. And so Jesus, uh, even in his letters to the churches, he told them that you might pray that you escape all these things that are coming, that you would escape them, that you'd miss them. So I want to close this morning uh, looking back at the passages we read at the outset. You don't have to turn back to them. It's going to go through them in order. And I just want to close with this because it sets the table uh, for next week. And uh, next week is really where the whole picture is Comes into view. This is kind of getting the informational pieces down so you know why are we pre tribulation? What's the difference between this second coming? But next week is really kind of pull the curtain back and see all right, why do we even have a rapture? Anyway, now looking back at the passage we read in order, first we started uh, with what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 24. And And obviously the verses even after that are important too and everything he said before that, but we don't have time to get into all of it. Now, he says to watch the fig tree. Um, Dr. Ed Heinzen, I love Dr. Ed Hein. I used his chart. Uh, that was his chart on the Second Coming chart. I love Dr. Ed. Matter of fact, I probably agree with 98%. Uh, but here's one thing he, me and Dr. Heinson would disagree with. He doesn't believe that that mention of the fig tree in that text refers to Israel. He believes because Luke chapter 21 also says the fig tree, but Jesus says in Luke 21, And the same Olivet Discourse, remember uh, Mark writes on it, Luke writes on it, Matthew writes on it. Because Luke says, look at the fig tree and all other trees, he believes that that means that Jesus is just using the tree metaphor but it's not related to Israel. I actually think that Luke's statement reinforces that it's about Israel. Why? Because when Jesus says the fig tree and all other trees Jesus had already said specific signs related to the Gentile nations. He said kingdom against kingdom, ethnic against ethnic, that there would be all these uh, troubles among the nations. They're the other trees. The fig tree, why didn't he say, and look at the fig trees and the coconut trees and the apple trees and the pear trees, right? He uses one. The same week of the cross he cursed a fig tree. Why? There was no fruit on the fig tree. Israel was supposed to be producing the fruit of repentance and they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Their high priest was plotting Jesus' murder that very day. That's bad fruit. <laughs> the fig tree, <laughs> the fig tree, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It talks about the fig tree, and it specifically talks about the bad figs and the good figs. Caiaphas was a bad fig. You ever a good egg and a bad egg? Caiaphas was a bad fig. He was planning to kill Jesus, and Jesus cursed the fig tree because the nation, the Pharisees. Remember, they were the ones that would never listen to Jesus. So Jesus is very specific. Why does he talk about the fig tree each of these times? It's not a coincidence. He's saying, "Look at Israel." So again, that's just a you know, Dr. Heintz's way smarter. Written on all this stuff. I just that's one little thing that I I've studied it myself, and it doesn't matter to me what anyone else says. I believe that Jesus is speaking about the fig tree there. The other thing that was really cool in that text is the word taken. There are people in the body of Christ that really believe. That, that passage is actually about judgment, and they believe that when the two women are at the mill and the two men are in the field, one is snatched up for judgment and another is not snatched up for judgment. I don't think that, that the text lends itself that way because the meaning of the word there, uh, paralambo, uh, to take to, to take with oneself. Who does that sound like? To join to oneself. And a man join his wife to be, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, I really believe Jesus is speaking very specifically here about the rapture and that the, that the taking is not, this one is taken for judgment, quite the opposite. I believe he's saying be ready, you don't know what hour, that's the eminency of Christ, all of that is in there. And so I think that when you look at the fig tree, saying Israel, watch Israel, things have to happen within, but you be ready. You personally, you as the, uh, the bride of Christ, be ready to be taken. Now the other, the other passage, we next passage we read, Acts chapter 1, the apostles ask Jesus an interesting question. You would think they would say, how many people are we, are we going to win to Christ? They don't say that. How many people are going to baptize? They say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus does not say that they've asked a bad question or a theologically wrong question. He says, it's not for you to know when. If they had asked a theologically bad question, guess what he would have said? Have you not read? That's what he would say. They did, he doesn't say that to them. When he sa- They said, when are you going to restore the king of Israel? He's basically saying, oh yeah, that's going to happen, but that's not for you to know when. If they had asked a poor question, he would have said, have you not read? Where did you guys get that idea? That I'm going to restore the kingdom of Israel. In fact, he was confirming, oh I'm going to restore it, but I'm not telling you when I'm going to restore it. Very important to me. Uh, That again initiates the understanding or helps us with the understanding of the fig tree. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52, we looked at that. Paul's writing to the church. He says that it's a mystery. Well why did God keep it a mystery? Because that's the kind of stuff that actually infuriates some people. Say, Well it should have all been in the Old Testament already. God says no, I didn't ask you how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to reveal to my apostles Paul would write that the church is built on Jesus as the chief cornerstone and the prophets and the apostles. In other words the prophets had to write their piece, the apostles had to write their piece and Jesus was the cornerstone to all of it. And he's like I'm not apologizing to why I reveal it this timeline, this is how it's going to roll and Paul you get to write about it a couple of times in 1 Thessalonians and also you have write about the tribulation in 2 Thessalonians as well. Um, that, and again, these things all correspond back to Matthew 24. I'm just running out of time. 1 Thessalonians 4, we looked at that. Uh, the word for caught up, harpazo, we already looked at that. But it complements the possessive action that Jesus says, to one will be taken. Taken unto oneself. So Jesus says one will be taken unto, Paul says taken up, and we know that both go together. The other cool thing is about the word together there in uh, the word for together there in First Thessalonians, that word together, it not just means together, it means at the same time. That you and I all arrive, not just, hey we, this is not Calvary Chapel by the way. The way Calvary Chapel arrives, some of you are here five minutes early, some of you are here six, and some of you come in late. All, it's, we're not around, not this, this word says everyone at the exact same time together at the same time. That everyone from all over planet Earth, like I said earlier, China, Uganda, everywhere, we're, we're all together at the same time. Nobody's late, even a second. Everybody is together in an instant moment. Jesus brings everyone together. So that's very important. And lastly, Jesus says He's coming soon. But He also said, back in Matthew 24, no man knows the day and the hour. So you have to take Jesus at His word say all of this in context Jesus, you're coming soon. I want to be ready. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Before I pray, let me say this too. Um, Today is about, I I, I hope it works this way, today is about you being settled in what the Word says regarding the expectancy of the rapture. Next week, I hope is more of a mind- blown about all that God unveils in the feast and in the picture of the marriage of Jesus and the bride. And so today is kind of that foundation, but I hope that next week you see the richness of it all and say, wow now I see why this is such a big deal why Jesus gave this to the apostles and why he even kind of had a waiting period. We'll see all of that as we take a look. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for this time to today together, uh, sitting around Your Word. You are the Word of God. We, we're opening Bibles, but Lord, we're really reading what You've settled forever in Heaven. And Lord, I fully admit that uh, myself, none of us can answer all of these things, but we thank You that we can answer enough to be joyful and expectant and Lord, even it would have a, as Peter would write to the church, a purifying work. Knowing that all these things will come to pass, what manner of people ought we to be? And so, Lord, I pray that this week and next week just does a, a purifying work in us. And then next week, as we finish and take of the Lord's Supper with you, uh, with the Spirit present, obviously, Lord, we look forward to the day that we have it in the kingdom. But Lord, we want to remember these things. So we're already looking forward to. Uh, these things, and we pray that you would just settle us and, and reveal to us uh, the surety that these promises are for your people. And Lord, if it's in our lifetime, we rejoice. If it's not, we still want to be ready just in case. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you stand.